one of the best ways to equalize uh, for everyone is to stop criminalizing for something really otherwise law-abiding citizens enjoy as an alternative to more dangerous behaviors. Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. These are the last days of prohibition. And this show seeks to feature the stories of the founders, the investors, the marketers that are bridging the gap. The day of getting a little dime bag from your guy on the corner is done. It's not happening. So you've grown into such a figure in the cannabis space. You know, Oaksterdam is world renowned. But I'm very curious, you know, what, what motivates you? What got you into this industry to begin with? I joke it was entirely accidental and then became a moral imperative once you learn why you can't stop. I come from mainstream. I rebelled against my parents by going to corporate jobs and working for big corporations mm. and becoming a, a manager. Uh, I, I spent most of my time in hospitality, owned a restaurant, worked in hotels, uh, as, as well as broadline distribution, eventually research and development. Uh, also spent some time uh, working in the medical field for a short time and also retail uh, as a district manager. The result was I understood a commodity mm. from the end user all the way up to the boardroom table where they were thinking it up in the first place. Yep. And all of the best practices that went into the how to move it around. What I was lacking at a certain point was the will to do it anymore. All I was doing was enriching this company's bottom line. And I got to this point where, as the headhunter and the troubleshooter, I couldn't look someone in the eye and say, you need to come work for us. Mm. This is what you should do. Mm. And so I had a crisis of conscience. You didn't believe what you were selling anymore. I couldn't yeah. sell it. The yeah. second I didn't believe it anymore, yeah. I couldn't sell it. Yeah. I just couldn't even do it to another human being. Yeah. And so a friend of mine had been talking to me for a year and a half saying this doctor down in Southern California needs a business manager. Why don't you move to California? The one state I swore I'd never move back to <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I took the leap. I gave my notice um, and uh, moved to Southern California and uh, started working with patients. And it was in that those first few weeks of doing the research to realize that the patients are walking into a black hole. The doctors are not allowed to tell them what medicine, where to find it, how much even. And so the doctors didn't know where are my boundaries, what am I allowed to do? And once I started learning just the basic business of what I needed to know to manage these doctors, by that point I was hooked. Mm. What had happened in the meantime, however, was my grandmother had died. Mm. And I never told her what I was going to do, partially because I was ashamed. I didn't know how to talk about it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving my 401k and my vested career to go work with cannabis in California? Yeah. What? And so in those two weeks um, of moving, I just couldn't figure out how to tell her. And then, you know, the unexpected happens in the next few years, I met so many people like her and realized that instead of sneaking out back to smoke my bowl when I went to visit, I should have been sitting down at the kitchen table and sharing it with her. With her, yeah. And I missed that chance. Yeah. Try to help others be brave. Yeah. 
tell their story. Yeah, yeah. Before it's too late. No, oh, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing it with well, us. Well, and, and I want to say that this is often what's most important because I found no matter who I tell, no matter where, I never get attacked. The worst that happens is, wow, I'm not for that, but I'm glad you're here to talk about it. Mm. And it was my fear that kept me. And so I want to share with you, with your viewers, be brave. It's telling your personal story. That's what changes hearts and minds, mm. not the facts and figures. You. Mm. So powerful. And, and that's what you've set out to do here, right? Is to share that knowledge, share that inspiration. And teach people how to tell their stories, yeah. but give them the facts and figures to back it up. Right, right. <laughs> Here's right. how to convince your Aunt Betty. So we've had over 25,000 graduates from over... 25,000. I mean, just take a second to let that sink in. That's so many. It really is. Yeah. Since 2007. Yeah. And they come from over 30 countries. How many instructors are there in total? We have a faculty of over 150 that exist throughout the country, and we're actually adding international instructors as we speak. Yeah, no, there's this perception that cannabis resides in California or a couple other states or maybe in Amsterdam, but all over the world, 30 countries. I mean, over 30 countries, I dare say. And you know, it's really remarkable. Uh, wherever I go now, outside of Oaksterdam, because folks come here to learn mm. now that I can get out into the world myself, mm. whether it be a business conference or a city council meeting, when I look around, a third of the room is alumni. Oh, wow. It's, it's these folks that are going out and changing the world, and that's what makes me most proud. Yeah, that must be incredibly rewarding. It truly is, and it's important. I try to talk to every single class that comes through, not only to thank them for being a part of this, because Oaksterdam, we're no longer just to school that you come to in Oakland. We're now a state of mind. Hmm. And we're training gladiators here. You're often first through the wall. Sometimes you get the most bloody. Sometimes you make the most money. What we're here to do is to set you up for success, prepare you for the worst, and then teach you how to bridge to the source as you wing it. Because hmm. we really are changing things so quickly. Hmm. There is no one way, but there are best practices. Got it. So a little bit of teaching them how to learn rather than just teaching them what they need to know because it's always evolving. Well, wouldn't you rather learn how to fish? I would. I would, yes. I don't fish, but I like fish. Well, so it turns out I can get more. it grows on trees. <laughs> so this is the only cannabis school in the world that I know of. Are, are there others? Does it exist out there? Well, there are a few folks that do teach classes on cannabis, but I dare say that there's two differences. Number one, we teach people what they need to know, yeah. not just what they want to know. Ah. And number two, we let you get hands-on. We're the only school in yeah, the world that amazing. allows you to get hands-on with the cannabis plants. And so these in particular are for the harvest class. We'll split it up, we'll wet trim half of them and leave the other for dry trim so that students can experience for themselves the differences between the harvest techniques. Mm -hmm. And then if you come over here, you'll also see the plants in the various stages of growth. Down at the bottom is the last semester class that planted their seeds mm -hmm. and now they've sprouted. And then what do you do with the product, with the flowers that are produced here? We have a patient that has been with us since Jeff went to the Supreme Court. Mm. She went with him all the way to DC. Wow. And she is an MS patient. She's been in a wheelchair for over 40 years. And Yvonne Westbrook-White is our patient. And so our students know that when they're working with the plants, when they're trimming it, they also do it with love because they realize that it's going to Yvonne. Another important point about Yvonne, she comes in and talks to every semester for just 15 minutes mm. and talks about compassion. 
to remind the business people why they're really here. Yeah. We talk and teach a lot about advocating up and the importance of being involved in local government and being involved with the National Cannabis Industry Association that we lobby Congress. She reminds them that we have to lobby down and that's called compassion and making sure that as we profit, especially from adults, that we always have those compassion programs, especially for the patients that need this. This is their medicine and we should do everything we can to give them safe access. Well, Oaksterdam was first founded just before the law passed, Prop 215, and it was my husband that planted the flag here in Oakland. He opened the very first dispensary to work with a city in order to dispense cannabis to the medical necessity patients. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, most of those patients are gone, including mm -hmm. many of his founding members, mm -hmm. uh, because they were truly the dying that were willing to take the risk. Right. And so this young man from South Dakota went out and uh, waved his arms and, and said, I'm gonna do it, and uh, planted his flag on Broadway. The city of Oakland blessed it, and he started dispensing. The federal government, not so fond, and they came in, it was actually the first action on on this type of activity, they were just in shock. Like, what do you mean they're doing press conferences and he's selling it on Broadway mm. with a permit from the city? <laughs> so it took him a minute to figure out what to do with this yeah. guy. Uh, and after a time, they, they went after him civilly. Mm. Now this is important because he wound up going all the way through to the Supreme Court. It took almost a decade and a half uh, to travel its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And so because he kept it tied up in the courts, in the meantime, everyone else that they went after was criminal. Mm. And therein lies not only that difference, but also why he still fights because of how many friends he's had yeah. uh, go the hard way. Yeah. And so when he was shut down by the Fed, he convinced his primary grower, uh, who had recently moved out here from Texas, um, Interesting. To take over the mantle. Because he came from Texas. And so enter Richard Lee, who originally was just supplying Jeff with the cannabis at rock bottom prices because for both of them it was about helping patients that were destitute. Uh, when he finally moved out to Oakland, uh, he applied for the permit that Jeff gave up and uh, decided to start opening more storefronts. So it started with the dispensary, uh, then the gift shop, we had a nursery, the school, the museum, the campaign. Just grew from there. Uh, and what kind of people come to Oaksterdam? You know, what, what kind of people want to want to learn this stuff? I think that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah. We have the most diverse student base of any university that I'm aware of. I know they pay people to create the kind of diversity that just walks through my door. Yeah. From 18 to 88, from every walk of life. We have MIT graduates, rocket scientists, heart surgeons. In every single class, we have medical professionals and oftentimes retired law enforcement and almost every class regulators from either this state or another state. I think uh, two short came through. Wu-Tang, we've had a few of the clan. Well, Red Man and Meth Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've both, had a few of the clan come through. And uh, yeah, two short is an obvious uh, Oakland Yeah, native, and he was... actually just played at the Fox Theater yeah. right across the street yeah, not yeah. too long ago. But the ones I'm most proud of, ones that never even graduated high school. Mm. And this is the first certification, the first diploma, if you will, that they've ever had because they were always persecuted for loving the plant. Mm -hmm. 
and now they're celebrated for wow. their skill set. Wow. <laughs> really, we're creating the you know the next rock stars of the new cannabis industry. I mean, a lot of the folks that come through here, they come through here because they realize even if they've already been doing this for 25 years, there's always something new to learn. Of course, yeah. how many people are typically in a class? Uh, these days, we have a smaller classroom which offers a lot more one-on-one -on -one instruction. Yeah. Uh, so if we're in the hands-on class, the horticulture seminar semester, it's about 25 folks. If you are in the classic, it's about 45. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest difference is that the horticulture, we allow you to get hands-on. We're mm. the only hands-on horticulture lab in the world oh, where cool. as a student, you can participate with the plant. Right. They come through here because they realize even if they've already been doing this for 25 years, there's always something new to learn. Of course, yeah. These best practices are also coming in from these other industries. It's all applicable. And having these experts and having these individuals come in to this school, introducing them to the cannabis industry and some of these nuances, they're able to apply those in mm. immediately with whatever business that they bring mm. in. Mm. They're bringing the expertise yep. of where they came from. Their own domain expertise. And it's and, only yeah. improving the quality of the entire industry because it's bringing those standards and raising everyone else. What's up, IC fans? We are at the new home of investing in cannabis gateway in Oakland, California. It's really in two parts. So there's an incubator where they're gonna help 10 companies get investment and press and you know advice. And they've asked me to be a mentor here, which is awesome. Thanks again, guys. Also gonna be the new home of investing in cannabis. So we're gonna do most of our shows here. It's a great space. In addition to the incubator, which you have to be accepted for, there's also Gateway Works, which is just a really cool place where you can come and buy a desk, a monthly desk, right? I think it's $350 for the month. Get away from your roommates. You don't have to worry about having a stuck-up landlord. It's hard to find desk space, hard to find a place to work in the cannabis world. And then you can be a part of this cannabis entrepreneur uh, community as well. And you can benefit from the other founders. Great synergy here. If you've never been in a co-working space, it's like the way to start a company. Is there a piece of advice for not just women, but entrepreneurs in general, uh, people that want to get in, into the cannabis world, maybe first come to Amsterdam? Small plug there, a little plug there. But in addition to that, I mean, what, what, what's sort of your advice to someone that's just sort of getting into cannabis? Yeah, I get people call me on the phone sometimes, like, what do I need to know? Like, yeah, we actually have a four-day class on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's try to stuff 10 pounds into a five-pound bag and, and, and offer it up to you. Yeah. Um, I, I think educating yourself is is most important and understanding what your risks are as you try to determine what the benefits might be. It really truly is about understanding what not to do before you go figure out what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And that's the step that most people miss and it's often the most expensive. That what not to do lesson yeah, yeah, is sure. what costs you most in life. Yeah. And we're going online, which is one of the most exciting things I have to share with you. Oh, cool, yeah. Anyone that's interested in just the California law, that is our little test bunny. We did an online class on MMRSA that is now available if you go to oaksterdam.com. And we are this close to getting our full horticulture and classic seminars online. So now you don't have to figure out how to get to Oakland. Oaksterdam's coming to you. Wow. Uh, Oaksterdam.com or what, what's, what's the Yeah, Oaksterdam, Oaksterdamuniversity.com. Either one will get you there and you can look into the classes that you can take here in Las Vegas. We're looking to get to Florida and New York. We're also going to Jamaica and I have an emissary going to Uruguay this coming Friday. Ah. We're about to take Oaksterdam and Espanol. Oh, wow. Yes. Very exciting. 
something we've talked about a little bit on this show. I speak a little bit of Spanish. Nice. We thought about you know doing some clips in Spanish or whatever. Well, and it goes back to that whole concept that Spanish speaking or even just English as a second language is very difficult to have access to this information. So in many of these communities, really they still consider it an abomination or at the very least criminal. And so to be able to offer the education in Espanol, not just for say folks in Miami, Florida or, or Tucson, Arizona or, or anywhere in Colorado, but also other countries that they're coming here to understand how to take cannabis policy. And because the education that's offered in many of these countries around the world came from the United States, drug policy and the DEA, it's only focus is enforcement and abatement, not on safe practices. Mm, yeah. And one of the things that we really need to talk about as we control, tax, and regulate is much like in the alcohol industry of don't drink and drive and drive safely. We need to have similar uh, safe consumption and responsible cultivation campaigns. Just simple, don't be a dumbass yeah, campaigns. Right, be reasonable. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's multiple bills proposed for, for adult use. Uh, I think the most notable is probably uh, supported by Sean Parker. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you feel about the bills that, that are proposed right now? Well, I think that the AUMA is likely the only one that has the wherewithal to actually get on the ballot. So as much as folks talk about a lot of them, you're not going to have a choice come November. Right. There's going to be one. And it really is going to depend upon what the legislature does between now and then. It's not as popular a subject as people think. Mm -hmm. And because they regulated medical, combining well, let's legalize adult while we regulate medical. Well, they just took the regulate medical away. How popular is legalizing adult? And it's not as popular as people think. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just Why remind folks, is? we have not done a good enough job in our public education campaign. We educate a lot of folks here. These are the folks that are interested in learning. But we need to do a, a much better job with respect to public education, the conversation of it being safer than alcohol. Mm. There's so much misinformation and disinformation mm. that's trickled down over the last 40 years. I'll just give you one example. Pristine white egg, crack, sizzle, this is your brain, this is your brain yeah. on drugs. There's no one out there that doesn't know what I'm talking about. This was the best marketing campaign ever. It's been disproven countless times by everyone from the World Health Organization <laughs> across the board. The gateway is actually the illegal status of the drug that you're going into a hard drug market for a soft drug. It's been proven scientifically this is the exit strategy, not the gateway. Mm. And yet that is still the perception. Mm. This must have been made illegal for a good reason at one point. Right. We don't remember what that reason is, but we still believe in that reason. And it's not until we understand the history of prohibition that we can let that go and open up. But we fail to educate the general public on that. It's starting to happen. Yeah, no, I think most people want to believe that their government is in place to protect them. Right, so they ban this substance, why? Because it must be dangerous to us. But this is just not the case. They the forgot case. that special interests existed yeah. 100 years ago, just like they do today. Yeah. So uh, over here in our museum, we start to talk about the history of cannabis as medicine and also hemp industrially. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable, as a medicine, cannabis has been part of the pharmacopoeia for tens of thousands of years, and we have archaeological evidence that leads back over 10,000 years with respect to hemp, not just for food, fuel, and fiber, but also for spiritual, religious, 
perhaps wellness as well as sickness mm -hmm. purposes. Hemp is quite a remarkable history. We made hemp illegal at the same time we made marijuana illegal, mm -hmm. much to the chagrin of the farmers that grew it. That was temporarily stopped during the Hemp for Victory campaign because hemp was so vital to the war effort. Mm. But largely, our American farmers are unable to grow this. If you start to look throughout the world, however, especially Russia and China, we're number one. Mm. Importers of hemp from Russia and China. Why? That that's just a, a huge inefficiency in the market, right? I mean, we have some of the best farmers in the world. Well, not just that, but this is about the American economy. And as we have the conversation about shipping jobs overseas, these are the types of jobs that stay right here. These are agricultural, production, manufacturing, and retail jobs. And this is part of why the labor movement is so interested. Much in the way that they unionized migrant farm workers back in the 30s and 40s, mm. They should have legalized cannabis workers back then, Yeah, but it wasn't legal to. Yeah, interesting. As we talk about things like hemp, we don't realize that part of the reason that when we think about hemp, we think about those itchy, scratchy clothes where you just kind of look like a tree-hugging, crystal-gripping right. hippie. Sort of a burlap sap type deal. With a belt. With a belt, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it turns out it's simply because of the manufacturing practices. We weren't able to evolve our manufacturing in the same way that we were with things like cotton or even bamboo. Mm -hmm. If you think about those lovely, soft, warm, antimicrobial socks that are made out of bamboo, mm -hmm. hemp actually does better. Mm. It's stronger, antimicrobial, antibacterial. So part of of why hemp was illegal in the first place was because it was competing with cotton and paper as yeah. well as nylon. And I guess there's this perception that there's this massive like conspiracy theory uh, involved with that. Why is the hemp farmer, is hemp in general's commodity being held down? Is there truth to that? I think the reality is that you're looking at thousands of tiny conspiracies yeah. of individuals that see this competition and they're going to do everything that they can to stop it. And just like back in the 30s, we have the same situation now. You're looking at the prison industrial complex. You're looking at pharmaceutical companies. I think insurance companies are actually going to switch over because it's cheaper for them to reimburse you for that little bit of medicine a month mm. than all those pills. Mm, mm. But in the meantime, we still have drug testing, drug treatment, and, you know, frankly, the lobbyists are so entrenched in their positions yeah. and paid to keep them, as well as our own federal government. Yeah. People don't realize that, you know, the ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, is required to prevent legalization by any means necessary. Mm. That's this their is, charter. This That's is Congress mission. telling yeah. them, lie if you have to, but yeah. don't let it happen no oh, matter wow. what, even oh, if it's wow. what's best. Yeah. And so this is what we're up against that people don't realize. Yeah. We have a, some good news, though. The same way that we undid the last prohibition in stopping treating this like contraband, contraband. If a law enforcement officer catches you with cannabis, they have to take it from you mm. by force if necessary. Mm. And finally, we're treating it as a commodity, something to be controlled, regulated, and also taxed. Mm. So where does the money go? Does it go to the gangs? No. Does it go to taxes to yep. build more schools and hospitals? I mean, this is really just about who controls it and who IDs your kids when they come to purchase it. Mm. If you go to a dispensary down the street, they get ID'd at the door. Mm -hmm. 
I don't remember the guy that I used to buy it from ever IDing me. Yeah. But I do remember what else he offered me when I went in just to buy pot. Yeah, and I think the result is in this country for a lot of young people, it's actually easier to get a hold of cannabis than it is alcohol, right? Because it's being sold in schools and not being ID'd and there's no regulation there, right? And I mean, that's dangerous, mm -hmm. it's super dangerous. Well, and when you look to the things that really do harm society, a lot of times, it's that society had to go to a more dangerous option because the safer one was made illegal. Mm -hmm. You can see this in the military where otherwise law-abiding citizens, you know, want to just shake it off for a night, especially after they've been in some of these areas. Oh, man, yeah. And instead of just smoking some pot, which would not only help with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, some of these other things that they're actually dealing with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're flipping over to things like cocaine and alcohol and bath salts. Mm, uh, that because, are easy to get a hold of. Well, not only easy to get a hold of, but out of your system in 24 hours. Uh, it's uh, the drug testing. Yeah. Now, when you actually look at drug testing, just as a federal government, as an example, I understand that it's become part of our work practice, but sure. when you look at how many positives are popped in the federal government, it's almost $75,000 per test, mm. per positive, mm. because that's how few people test positive. Right, right, right. It's been proven over and over again so that, it doesn't, that prevent, just, yeah. it doesn't prevent that behavior. Yeah. It just shifts people into more dangerous and risky behaviors where they won't get caught. Right, so of all this great stuff in here, is there like one piece that's your favorite that has a lot of significance for you? That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to say that one of my favorites is probably that ship. It belongs to Chris Conrad, who is the curator of the Canvas and Hemp Museum, both here and the original curator in Amsterdam. Yep. And it reminds me how vital hemp was to the American culture. A normal merchant ship like that one would take two tons of hemp every two years. Wow. We fought the War of 1812 over taxation on hemp, mm. and then we went and made it illegal. Wow. That might not be in the history books that the, our kids read, right? You, you have to look hard because yeah. a lot of this was scrubbed out of our history books. Yep. But if you just look at a map of the United States, you start to see Hempstead, Hempstock, all of these different places. And just even things like jute and canvas were once upon a time made of hemp. This was the foundation of our society. And oftentimes, those plants that you hear about being eradicated in South Dakota, it's hemp. Mm. It's mm. just simply hemp. Mm. And yet we're spending tens of billions of our federal dollars destroying it and putting kids in prison instead of school. Wow. And would the actual ship include any hemp? I mean, the sails or anything like the that? The sails, the rigging, the ropes, and frankly, the things that the sailors themselves would wear and use in daily life. Mm. Uh, what people don't realize, and this is how we know that it was hemp, if you look to flax as an alternative for hemp, flax would start to dissolve in a matter of three months on a ship like that. It mm. just simply would not stand the test of the salt water and the strain wow. on the fiber. So I want to talk about the messaging in the cannabis world a lot. There's a lot of organizations, normal in particular, that use the word marijuana. There's also other people that call it pot or weed. What do you call it and, and why is that so important that we're, we're standardized in that? Well, I think that you'll hear a lot of people moving to cannabis simply because it's the scientific terminology for the plant and wouldn't be lovely if we called it what it was. Yeah. The terminology of marijuana is actually, when you start to dive into where that word came from, 
not such a positive start. Mm. Really, it was the slang word that Harry Anslinger and William Randolph Hearst used because nobody was familiar with the word to scare the heck out of the public with their yellow journalism, mm. uh, calling it the, the devil weed, marijuana, not cannabis that physicians knew about, not hemp that farmers were familiar with, mm -hmm. but this scary marijuana. No, no, not the medicine you're familiar with, this other thing. And when they use the word marijuana, they're specifically using it in a negative way against Mexicans mm. and black people mm. yeah. to make you afraid, either because they're gonna go crazy and attack you, including things like it'll make a black man step on a white man's shadow or a black man look at a white woman twice. Mm. Come on. Mm. <laughs> but also, 10 years later, when they were worried about things like communists, no, no, it doesn't make you crazy and wild. It makes you lazy and slow. Yeah. Pick one. Right. It depends on who you're trying to scare them against. Right. You can't have it both ways. Right. And then how about pot? That's still a word that I hear all the time, particularly I think it skews a little bit older. Uh, how do you feel about that word pot? That word slips out of my mouth on occasion, I will admit. I still use the word pot. One of the ways that I look at this is that we're trying to extricate ourselves from a failed marijuana policy. So when I'm referring to the failed marijuana prohibition, that's the word I use. When I talk about where we want to go into the future, I talk about cannabis policy reform. That little line has served me very well in the past. Every time I talk, if I just use that terminology, it also even makes sense for Marijuana Policy Project and the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws because we're talking about reforming the failed status quo. Mm -hmm but we need to move towards cannabis policy. Mm, yeah, well, it's so much more encompassing too, right? I mean, it talks about all the cannabinoids and not just flowers and not, not just- Not just the thing that you smoke, yeah. but also- And not just the thing that gets you hot. Indeed, right? yeah. all the various uses. And I think that's an important point that cannabis also brings to mind. Uh, it just has an inference of the scientific uh, rather than the inference of racism and fear. Mm. I think it's also important though, not just in what we call the plant, whether it's weed or pot or Mary Jane, you know, a lot of these references pretty much come from the fact that we had to be surreptitious for so many years. That's why we have so many punny comments right. is because everything's got, you know, a, a second meaning sure, to sure. it that probably references cannabis in some way, shape or form. I go back and watch movies that I watched 20 years ago and it's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't get that because I wasn't cool when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> Neither was I. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but the other word that I wanted to talk about is recreational. Mm. I'm a mom. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Just like me, all those other soccer moms out there, when they hear recreational, they think about what their children are doing because recreational is fun. Yep. It's Disney World. Playtime. Playtime, going to some party, that's recreation. Go, go ice skating, that's recreation. Why are we making this sound fun to children when the specific point here is to keep it away from children? Mm -hmm. We need to stop calling it recreational cannabis. This is cannabis for adults. Mm -hmm. It's retail, it's commercial, it is not recreational. So adult use cannabis. Adult is use the cannabis. We should be using? Commercial cannabis, retail cannabis. Please stop calling it recreational. Yeah. Not only are you making it sound fun to the very group of people that we don't want consuming this for fun, but you're also scaring the soccer moms that are going out to vote, and not everyone is voted. Mm. So those of you in Colorado, people in Florida are listening. Mm. And we really have to go back, take a look at our websites, take a look at our materials, take a look at how we approach this. 
do a control F, find recreational, substitute, right, right. retail, <laughs> whatever R word you need to use. Uh, but this is really important, semantics. How you speak controls how you think. How you think controls how you behave. And the way that we approach this is just as important. It's no longer if or even when. Now it's how. We have a unique opportunity to get this right. Semantics are, are such a big part of the political landscape, mm -hmm. right? And you really are on the forefront of that. You were telling me a little bit earlier, you also have a nonprofit uh, that is fighting to legalize adult use cannabis the correct way. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I became chairwoman of the Coalition for Cannabis Policy Reform, whose most recent activity was Reform California, after being spokeswoman for Prop 19. Really, this was the blueprint, the first time that anyone had asked the question, should cannabis be controlled, taxed, and regulated? And it was here in 2010 in California that it was first asked out loud. Mm. And someone had to ask the question. And we knew going in we were likely to fail. We actually did better than we thought we would. But it was that blueprint and the coalition that came about unusual players that had never been a part of this conversation before, from the labor unions to the NAACP, retired law enforcement officers, hemp industries, all of these various groups, Americans for Safe Access, everyone coming together to finally have the conversation, this is going to happen. How can we do it to ensure that patients are protected with through the safe access that really heretofore is still not present mm. in, in many counties or cities. So how can we make sure that as, as we legalize this for adults that patients are taken care of? But another important subject here is whose business is it anyway? We have tens of thousands of individuals that have been part of the cannabis community, in some cases for multiple generations. This is how they pay their mortgage and how they feed their children. So we started teaching in 2007, and we just had a few classes. Uh, it was our founder's mission to get people more involved in local government, mm -hmm. and the one thing that he knew people kept asking him for was to teach them how to grow. Mm. I'll make you a deal. I'll teach you how to grow, but first I'm going to teach you legal politics, history, and civics, and then I'll teach you anything you want. Got it. And in the process, in teaching people how to become growers, he inadvertently created advocates and activists mm. in the process, that mm. if this is what you're going to do, this is how to advocate for yourself and your position. Mm -hmm. But it was also important to teach people how to not lose everything. This is such a risky business, whether you're doing it for yourself just to be a qualified patient or you're doing it to actually start a career. Mm. It's dangerous. Mm. And it's not just the normal risks that people take of crop failure or a business risk like any other endeavor mm -hmm. where 90% of first businesses fail, yeah. but 80% of second ones succeed. Mm. And so it's it's understanding what these risks really are that go well beyond those into legal risk, social risk, political risk. It's not just your business. You might lose your family, yeah. your future, your home, your life, your freedom, your children. Yeah. Yeah. This is how they pay their mortgage and how they feed their children. Yeah. And in some cases, whether it's considered legal or not, and I want to draw the comparison that if you're white like us, it's medical, mm. but if you're a person of color, it's criminal, mm. that we also start to bring that out of the woodwork and realize that it's about small business and people that have criminal backgrounds, that we have to ensure that there is a place for these folks in this new industry. If we don't make the small farmers that are up in Humboldt part of the solution, 
they'll continue to be part of the problem. Right, right. And and that's not good for anyone. We're taking their children, we're taking their home. I mean, we have a chance to do this right, but only legalizing five grow operations in the entire state is not the way to do it. Right, yeah. I'll point out the new Jim Crow. People talk about this. Here at Oaksterdam, you learn that this is not just about legalizing cannabis for adults or for patients. This is the most important civil rights revolution of our time. And we have an opportunity as citizens to change the world, whether it be in the jury booth, in the voting box, or being the expert in the room as legislators or decision makers are figuring out what to do next. And unfortunately, whoever was in the room in Florida forgot to point out that by requiring that you're part of the nursery industry continuously for the last 30 years just only set the entire Florida growing market up for rich white men. Mm. How many black people do you know that owned nurseries in Florida 30 years ago? None. How many women? None. How many veterans? None. And so when we talk about small business, we're talking about women, veterans, and anyone of color. As you go into some of these states, Pennsylvania, it's going to take you $200,000 just to apply and then $2 million just to prove you can do it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in between for the people that were already there. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the perception from the outside of the cannabis world is that women and minorities are, are much greater represented in this industry than in many others. Is there truth to that? Are you, are you experiencing that? Are you seeing that? You know, I've, I've participated in multiple conferences on what's called a women's panel. And the last couple times, uh, I think I made it pretty clear that maybe I'm not the best one to put on a women's panel mm. uh, because I'm going to call you out on that. Mm. Uh, and we had a lot of fun, of, of fun with it. And, yeah. and actually, in both scenarios, uh, word came back that those were the most popular panels because I think we got real. But for the most part, are the men in the room going to show up to a panel of women talking about, well, I have to do business with boobs, and here's why that matters. Right, yeah. And then meanwhile, there are no women on any other panel because yeah. the experts on those subject matters just got yanked off to go sit on a panel talking about having boobs. Yeah. So I come from a technology background and we see the same phenomena sort yeah. of happening, right? Where you have like the women's founder night or women's entrepreneur night. And it's like, wait, if we're really striving for equality here, shouldn't we just have entrepreneur night? Isn't that really where... How about we just have a lot more in the room yeah, and not right. point at it to feel good? Right. And that's, you know, that's some of it. And I dare say that Women's Grow has done a phenomenal job in getting more women out front yeah. to even be able to select from. Because you could go back to the same argument in these other industries. Well, there aren't enough women CEOs because there just simply aren't enough to choose from because they were in the kitchen for so many years. Mm -hmm. This is a new industry. This, you could say, is, is the next bubble. Something to be aware of. <laughs> I say that with warning. Uh, but this is the first industry where women don't necessarily have to break through a glass ceiling because we're still building up to where that might be. The ceiling isn't there yet. There is no ceiling. Yep. And so as we build this space, as a mother myself, and this was quite accidental, not the mother part, but <laughs> becoming a, a, a spokeswoman yeah. uh, for motherhood, is that I became the new working mom because I had to take my baby with me to work. When the raid happened, I was largely working from home, and suddenly I had to be downtown, except now I don't have a paycheck or benefits because the Fed just knocked all those out. Mm. And so the only way that I could save the school was to strap my baby on and go do it. Mm. 
And he stayed on for like two years until I could afford to hire someone to start to help me on occasion when I went into a business meeting. But most business meetings I held in those first two years, I had a baby strapped yeah. on. So kind of continuing the conversation of semantics, there's the idea of descheduling cannabis versus rescheduling cannabis. Can you tell us about the, the dichotomy there? It's vital as we advocate that we're advocating for the right thing. Descheduling removes cannabis from the entire DEA schedule so that it can be um, most likely regulated as an herbal product. American Herbal Products Association already has uh, a cornucopia of ways to do so. To reschedule simply moves it from most dangerous to still pretty dangerous yeah. and moving it into that two instead of the one all it does is require any doctor to fill out their prescription in triplicate and it also forces cannabis into under the FDA purview pharmacies mm. pharmacies are not equipped nor trained to to handle whole plant medicine and the FDA has no business and no purview over a whole plant medicine that has uh, multiple components to it. Sure. The FDA only has purview over single molecule drugs. This is why we have compound pharmacies out mm, there. Mm. And so what you're basically doing is taking something that is considered illegal and impossible and putting it into a regulatory structure that is ensured to fail entirely. Yeah. But at the same time, that gives opposition an excuse to say now we have to shut down the dispensaries because it's it needs to go into the pharmacies so really what we're looking at is just a softer gentler prohibition hmm. don't reschedule deschedule I've, I've had this brought up to me before actually by some folks in the NAACP of you know you Irish girl, why, why do you fight harder for black people than black people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just because they, you know, they seem like you doesn't necessarily mean they're your friend. Yep. And just because they're different from you doesn't necessarily mean they're your enemy. Yep. And so oftentimes, uh, at the very beginning, when I felt uncomfortable in a room where I was the only white face in the room, I finally realized this is exactly where I belong because if we're not all talking about it together, if it's not, you know, white, white women, white mothers talking about black mothers, then maybe white fathers won't care as much until we do. Yep. And so it's, it's just having that conversation and coming together and really figuring out what we agree on. There's devils in the details. There's a, a lot of reasons that you might disagree with a fellow advocate on certain things, but it's very important to do those disagreements privately because in public, we have to disassemble this circular firing squad where when you go in to advocate and someone else does, he just snipes you in the back. Mm. Because all it says to those elected officials is I can do whatever the hell I want yeah. because they don't have their act together. That right. movement is a mile long and an inch deep. Right, right, right. And this is also why it's so important to connect with those that know how to advocate correctly. There's only one group that's advocating in Congress for fair practices for the cannabis industry with respect to banking, with respect to the IRS issues and the 280E law. Mm -hmm. It's the National Cannabis Industry Association. Mm -hmm. There's only one group lobbying nationally for patients' rights, and that's Americans for Safe Access. If you are not supporting the organizations that are lobbying nationally, you're barely above the ostrich awaiting the fate of the dinosaur. 
we're all kamikaze fighters here. Yeah. And either we paved some landing strips for everyone to come in safely, or we're all gonna crash and burn. Got it. And yeah. so it is your responsibility. This is not yet an industry, it is still a movement until we change the federal law. Mm. It is your job, if you make a dime in this, you have to tithe to that change. Yeah. You know, when you think about convincing the farmers in South Carolina or Kentucky to grow hemp instead of tobacco, and then you watch these documentaries about how we're pushing tobacco on Indonesian children, this really could change the world. Yeah. We can make this world a healthier place. Yeah, I was watching an episode of Weeda Kit. I don't know if you've seen that That's yet. It's a great show. It's great. Krishna does a really good yeah. job too. But they had the, the episode in the Congo. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that one mm -hmm. yet, but it's just fascinating. You know, I had no concept of how far reaching this plant is in, in the world. This is how indigenous peoples have survived for many, many years. And the folks in the Congo will just clip five or six of these leaves and put them in steaming hot water and it will help with things like dysentery. And, and when you realize that, you know, just having diarrhea is what kills most children, mm. that it's not just a way of life, it, it's a way to life yeah. for a yeah. lot of these people. And it's the only way that they can make enough money uh, to survive. Thank you to everybody for watching. It's been really a pleasure. So thank you again for having us here. Amazing mission that you guys have set out here and you've done such a great job. Uh, we are everywhere that content is consumed. Uh, you know, Facebook, YouTube, anywhere you want to listen to it, SoundCloud. Uh, yeah, it's been fun, guys. Thanks so much for watching and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Investing in cannabis is 100% independent media. That means there's no parent company. We don't have anybody telling us what to do. But in order to maintain that, I, I need you. Uh, so there's this great startup called Patreon in San Francisco, uh, and they allowed you to donate a little bit of money every month, five, 10, 20 bucks, uh, to help support the creators, us, Investing in Cannabis, of this great content that you love to watch. Even if you, you aren't in a position to come out to the world or you've got a conservative job, uh, if, if you're smoking cannabis, if you're enjoying it, uh, just you know, donate a little bit of money to us anonymously. And it's just your little way to stay connected to the industry, even if you can't shout it from the rooftops yet. Now, you know, just give five, 10 bucks a month. I mean, you're, you're buying that weed anyways. And we're giving away free stuff. Uh, this episode, we got a nice pot of coffee t-shirt here. So if you want that, this is cannabis infused cocoa here. Uh, let's see what else we have. We got the coffee version. We got some CBD stuff as well. So if you don't want to get high at work, maybe just drink some coffee. So head over to patreon.com slash investing in cannabis. It gives you a chance to invest in cannabis.